Zolivir Nelson Jr. And I'm Aton Gleinert. And I'm Jim Stormdancer, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Nelson, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, not not much. I just released a game called Space Warlord Organ Trading Simulator. Uh, I'm a narrative director and general creative person working in games and beyond, uh, primarily at my studio, Strange Scaffolds. We shipped an airport for aliens currently run by dogs this year as well, as well as Candroid Survive and co-developed Skatebird. It, a lot of stuff. Were you making both of those games at the same time? Is that what was happening there? All of my games are developed simultaneously. We now have eight projects in development internally right now. Pure madness. And how many people are we talking about? If you if you uh, want if you want to talk about your studio internals, it's it's safe to say we're 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 significantly in the double digits right now. Wow! Congrats. Is that like two and a half digits? <laughs> what I love is ambiguity. That's where narrative comes from. Uh, as many digits as you can imagine, that's that's how many people we work with. <laughs> what I was wondering was, did the games outnumber the developers, or is it vice versa? I'm happy to hear that you have at least one developer working on every game. Yeah. The Strange Scaffold is, is me working with a lot of very talented people. Like the trope in what the 80s sitcom... Where, like, you, you tear off the costume and go into the other room, and it's like, hey, everyone, because you don't want to miss the parties. And then you put on the other costume, and you're like, I'm back. I got you punch. That whole thing. <laughs> uh, and, Aitan, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Sure, I'll do both. So, my name is Aitan Gleinert. I am the founder of Firehose Games. We're a Boston based video game studio, and uh, full disclosure, nowadays I work with Jim on some fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and so I do have something to plug, but I'm going to plug it by the way of a story. I'm friends with another local Boston area developer called Ichiro Lamb. He runs a company called Dejobon, and Ichiro has been making video games for a long time. And in the early days of Steam, he had a video game he wanted to release called Ah, where somebody's basically falling off of a building. And he likes to tell his story about the title of his video game broke Steam because it was too long. There were too many characters in the title of his video game. And Steam had to change how the titles of their games were stored so they could accommodate longer named titled games. So with that said, the thing that I would like to plug is the game that perhaps has broken the longest name system. An airport for aliens currently named by dogs. <laughs> Recurs, sorry, I can't, couldn't even get it straight. An airport for aliens currently run by dogs is Zalavir's game, and uh, it is fucking weird, and it is worth playing. It. <laughs> I don't know how often I play games that really make me laugh out loud, but that one did. It is delightfully weird. You can pet dogs, but it just uses the default Unity hand, but it just randomly cycles through it. So every time you pet the dog, you have a different hand. And the whole game is that sort of weird wackiness. But there's actually a game underneath it all, too, which is amazing. And so if you want to laugh, that's the game I'd recommend if you love dogs. And if you don't love dogs, I don't love you. Is this a bad time to confess that I'm a cat person who made a game about dogs? As long as you also love dogs, I think you're okay. Speaking of cat person, Cat Lateral Damage Remastered <laughs> is out. It's very good. <laughs> Mutual love. We got it. Yeah. Are we ready to start on some topics? Sure are. This is the only place on the internet where you can hear about topics, so we'd better be. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna, it's going to be a major disappointment for the audience if we don't get to them. Yeah. Uh, so, Aitan, your topic is 
When I was a kid, I hated gym class. Now I'm kind of sad that no one forces me to play sports on a semi-regular basis. Yeah, it, that's really hit me hard. So I was outside. My nephew is six years old and he's learning about baseball. And all he ever wants to do is go outside and play baseball. So I'll go outside and I'll play catch with him or I'll throw him the ball and I'll try to hit it with the bat. And he is so excited about any sports he wants to do all the time. And I love playing with him. And I think to myself, why didn't it feel this good to play sports when I was a kid? I used to hate this stuff. Like gym class would come and they'd make me go do stuff and it was just awful. And I remember being so against it. I wanted to do other stuff. But now I feel like it'd be awesome if some like giant person came along and was like, you need to go outside and play some sports with some other people your age. This this is a very important question. Is the size of the person commensurate with their level of authority in this? Oh, abs- there's no question who's in charge. They're way bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Weirdly, that's that stops being the case. Like when you're a like in a lot of cases, a, a teenage child, especially a teenage son, is often bigger than their parent, but they don't realize it yet. It's it's right. like the the when the the seagulls that are full size, but they were seagull babies like a month ago, they're still trying to beg for food because they don't realize they're no, I'm grown up now. I got to go get my own food. Like you could beat the shit out of your parents when you're 17. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> I don't know that I could have done that when I was 17. Okay, well. I, th- I think I would have exploded. <laughs> it's, a tri- it's a triumph of personal will as much as it is a physical thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess it does stop being true at some point. But for a long time, whoever's biggest, they're in charge. You're the first decade of your life, that's true. Yeah. When I read this, it hit me especially hard in a very specific other way, which is as much as this is a very potent topic, and uh, I appreciate you identifying something that I didn't realize I knew I needed, uh, but I've been feeling the absence <laughs> of. The thing that hits me isn't so much that I want someone to force me to play sports on a semi-regular basis. I want someone to force other people to play sports with me on a regular semi-regular basis. Yeah. yeah, that's the magic of school that you don't realize at the time is. You're all being forced to play sports together. And now I, I get in a mood of like, you know what? What about a game of pickup basketball? I haven't touched a basketball in several years, but that would be fun. And I just yeah. have to be forced. Like, do I go on next door? Do I endure? And people are like more or less the same level. Like, sure, there's some kids that are better than you and some kids that are worse. But you're all in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Versus you can't just like go to a basketball court and play with people who are playing there because they're like a thousand times better than you and you'll be humiliated. It's it's not a good time for them either. (laughs) And and thus endeth the topic. Yeah, I mean, we usually do use the lulls. (laughs) All right, if we're ready to move on, this is is, is, what goes too fast. We might get to poop dreads again. Oh, no. Uh, Nelson, your topic is... How long is it polite to stare at a person before it gets weird for you specifically, assuming they haven't seen you? This one is interesting because the question isn't how long is it polite to stare at a person. It's how long is it polite to stare at a person before it gets weird for you? Yeah. This relates to uh, something that sounds fascinating, but I've never really done, which is people watching. People talk about, oh, man, I love people watching. And I hear that and I say, human behavior is fascinating But that feels very uncomfortable to intentionally look at other people. If I'm walking by you in the street or like a commotion is occurring, turning and looking briefly seems to be a part of the status quo. But if I'm just sitting on a park bench with a sandwich and I'm just looking at people, 
it feels wrong to me. Does that, does anyone else deal with that? Is there like a time limit on how long you can stare at people? Is this a fear that you will be observed in turn? Um, a little bit. It's also like a matter of your own internal standards, right? Like, would I be proud of myself going and explaining to another person, oh yeah, I watched a couple play with their baby for five minutes. And there was like, was it friends of yours? It's like, no, it was a person in the park who I was watching from a safe distance and they didn't observe me. Yeah. Okay. So what if you have like two people you can like look back and forth between like and not spend too much time on either one of them? These are the type of solutions I come to topic lords. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the would I be proud of myself if I like observe myself doing this? That argument falls flat for me because I still eat the whole frozen pizza, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so apparently that I am immune, immune to that. So for me, the crux of it is who's going to notice me and point out rightly that I am a creep, right? And so in real life, I, I just have to understand that, of course, someone's going to notice that. And the next thing you know, I'm in trouble because I'm a huge creep. If I magically knew that nobody was going to see me, I don't think I'd have an upper limit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, I'm, I will... Like, I might get bored. Like, I will fucking Truman show that shit. You don't know that I'm looking at you? I'll watch you for the next 20 years. Why not? <laughs> as long as it's interesting. That's that's interesting because you mentioned being a creep, participating in this behavior, and what I really want to nail down, what is really important for me to come out of this topic with is... At what point have you become a creep? It is, it, is it the physical act of your eyes moving? Is it you choosing to watch them? Is it you choosing to continue watching them? At what point have you crossed from perhaps bystander? I think there's a lot of like context, mm -hmm. right? So like I could get away if somebody's like walking a dog, right? And the dog is cute. And let's be honest, the dog is cute because all dogs are cute. Mm -hmm. I can stare at the human and dog combo for basically as long as I want in modern current, like in, normally I can just get away with that. That's actually not considered rude, right? Versus if it's something like a, a kid or something like that, then like the cops are going to get called. Or if it's someone else like young, they're going to get mad at me. So it, it matters who you're watching, I think. Yeah, to, to become a creep, you become a creep in the mind of the person who decides you are a creep. I don't think you can really decide that for yourself, well, this is probably not true. I have never thought about myself and decided, hmm, I'm a creep. <laughs> you don't go people watching enough. <laughs> but I have uh, observed someone and seen in their face that they think I'm a creep. And that feels bad. At that mm. point, like, <laughs> I, am, I know I am a creep in their eyes. And that's where the shame comes. <laughs> you, you've mentioned yeah. something really interesting, Aton, which is... This is directly related also to the age of the person walking, watching. I think if someone is 85 years old, they are glad to be noticed. They're glad to be perceived because it reminds them that they are still alive. So like there is a threshold of age, which once it is crossed, you can watch them for as long as they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I just... Want to see if anything interesting happens over the course of the next few hours with this person. <laughs> I would agree with that. I think the older the person gets, the kind of the more you can get away with watching them, generally speaking. My family used to volunteer at nursing homes. And in hindsight, as much as at the time I didn't 
like being in the nursing home. I love elderly people and the, 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 the knowledge that they pass on as well as just like, they're human beings who have survived. Yeah, it beats the alternative, huh? <laughs> the, sm- the, the smell isn't great. The institution, as it's, uh, of, especially as I've learned more as I get older, that's, that's a real weird uh, situation. There's a lot of not good nursing homes. But the thing about nursing homes that I recognize and treasure in hindsight is you could stare at any human being in the vicinity above a certain age for as long as you want. And not just because they can't see you back. Oh yeah, they, they can even see you. And it just like, it for the most part, doesn't matter. But the, 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 the converse, of course, is also true. Mm. That when you're in such a situation, the old people can watch you too. And it's not because the rules don't apply to them. It's that they don't give a shit. <laughs> so, you're right. You don't fucking care what people think of you when you're 85. Like you just <laughs> watching old people is PVP, but for perverts, you can look at them and they can look at you. <laughs> there we have an episode. And title. you're just waiting. <laughs> you're just waiting to see who breaks. You know, something I think is interesting about this topic is I bet people have actually done research on this. I bet like if we went and like looked up on Google Scholar or something like that, scientific published papers, I bet we could find stuff about the appropriate length of time that you can stare at someone before it gets awkward that takes into a, things like this account. There must be some kid out there with a master's degree that wrote about this, right? Yeah. And like did some crackpot research. Yeah, like distance has to be involved, like whether you're naturally Absolutely. facing, like if you're sitting at a restaurant and your chair is facing the street, I think that means that every, anybody on the street is fair game for you. I just did a quick search. Among the studies that have been done, um, I didn't find something exactly for this, but apparently the amount of time it takes for someone to form a impression of you, a tenth of a second is enough time for someone to form an impression. So you could argue and... that a tenth of a second is as, as, is as nice as, it, as as much time as you need to people. That's why racism exists. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Like, that's basically what it is. <laughs> Our, like, monkey brains are probably so hardwired to just associate patterns and make decisions instantly. Yeah, I know everything I need to know about this person now. Yeah, apparently, also, they, they went from a tenth of a second, and they just keep increasing it, even to, like, a full second or more, and it didn't actually change that much, which is terrifying. Because I would think, like, I base my dating career off of when I open my mouth, I become more attractive. And the fact that that doesn't actually play that much of a part. Say, ah. The tenth of a second has already occurred. Right. So you have to go around with your mouth wide open the whole time. And yeah. So they, they, that's, that's how they first see you. Or, I'm just spitballing here. You could get really, really rich and then, like, pay a bunch of doppelganger yous to go out and, like, do good things in the world. And people will come to associate your look with being a good person, it'll, it's like, this is the lawn game, right? You, this would take years to pull off, but you could do it, I think. Yeah. You're describing Batman Inc., and I appreciate that. Were there multiple Batmans? There, there was a Native American Batman, there was a Batman in Japan, Batman decided to, um, scale up, uh, and become acquired by Embracer Group. (laughs) We gotta explain that joke. Embracer Group is the video game company that's gobbling up all the other video game companies. But I suppose they could also gobble up Batman if they wanted to. I assume Batwomen, if they're going to have Batman Inc., they have to have Batwomen as well. 
several extremely well-told stories about Batwomen and various people taking up the mantle. I read, I think, the original Batwoman, the one where she's wearing like white and red, and I thought that was very good. But that's the only one I read. If you dug that, uh, looking into the book Mother Panic uh, is an interesting take on that, because it's basically, what if a Bruce Wayne-like figure was a woman, had gone through uh, trauma, and was also absolutely done with your shit? (laughs) (laughs) Extremely well told. Cool. I will have to read that. It's such a better character than a lot of the other ones, but it also... It does kind of bother you that this guy's a billionaire, you know, and the way he tries to improve the world is to run around and like punch people really hard when they're not expecting it. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how he's going to use his money. <laughs> I, I think that's a fault of the more recent Batmans where they they try to make the world make sense and be a serious drama. Whereas if you go back to the 60s Batmans, this guy's just a goofball. Oh, yeah. They had bombs that were literal spheres with rope coming out of them that they would light a match to. And that was the bomb. Right. It was like straight out of Bugs Bunny. Even even Tim Burton's Batman is like, hey, he's a penguin. He got raised by penguins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Joker pulls that gun out. It's like two meters long. The gun it like is down his pant leg. And it's like, okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? What are the topics we got? Now, my topic is... When asked why some people find her music to be spiritual, Enya explained that it's the amount of reverb we use. And I think that was a joke. I think she was making a joke. But I do th- also think that behind every like like strong emotion that, that a work of art makes you feel, there's a trick that can be distilled to a very simple rule. And we just have to figure out what that rule is. And then we can make everybody feel every emotion all the time. Oh, sure. And end the world. I'm sure a lot of people who play video games listen to this, right? Yeah. Like, go play a Final Fantasy game, or honestly, just any Japanese RPG-type game where you have the final boss and it's super epic. Well, it's time to use a full choir singing in, like, crazy tones (laughs) with, like, an organ in the background. And, like... Yeah, there's definitely stuff you can do that, like, just kind of, you know, brute forces the feeling and the emotion that you want out of the listener. The idea of spirituality being associated with resonance actually makes a lot of sense, even outside of the joke, because you walk into a cathedral, the thing that typifies yeah. that space is, is not just the bouncing of sound, but the presence of enough space for sound to deaden. It, oh, yeah. It, it communicates that you are in the face of something greater. If you, if you go back to concepts like the sweat lodge, where it's even in, in claustrophobic environments where there is a, a, a mixture of, of deadened sound and resonance, your, your own voice being small and being in the face of something much larger. I think that there's a solid concept in that, which is why the ultimate position to feel emotions is inside of a Gregorian chanter's mouth. If you could just be really small <laughs> and standing in there, you would be close to God. That's awesome. You know, I'm also str- now that you mentioned that about the churches with the reverb in it. You're totally right, by the way. Um, I realize that this this must be an extremely culturally specific viewpoint, right? Because yeah. you have to be from a culture that would associate that sort of thing with spirituality. And if you're in a culture where that's not the case, of course they're not going to think Enya is religious you know they're not gonna get that out of there well i mean you you have like in, in different countries you have the concept of prayer wheels which you spin and, and there are these they can be these immense structures that you spin in a vacuum to create this thing of sound vaulted ceilings being a, a fixture of 
various religions is pretty even even if you're a Satanist, you're still finding a dungeon uh, in which to sacrifice your goats. <laughs> I'm pretty. I apologize to all the Satanists who are listening and are very offended by that. <laughs> I, I'd like to personally apologize to the Satanic community for the stereotyping. But yeah, I think that like pretty universal. The Church of Satan, by the way. Can we tangent on topics? Absolutely. I love the Church of Satan. Like the American Church That's of Satan. That's the actual title of this. <laughs> or whatever, the Satanic Church. They're amazing. Whenever you get some sort of like ludicrous law passed in America, they're always the first to show up and be like, oh, really? Is that the law? Can anyone do it? Let us do it. And then they cancel the law because they don't want the Satanists to do it. And it like they maintain the separation of church and state in America better than anyone else. It's incredible. You know, I, I haven't often thought about the Church of Satan and its uh, positive qualities. But you do have an interesting point. (laughs) They have good senses of humor, too, about it. Just like whenever they're trying to show how stupid a government law is that has church stuff in it, they go and they, like, ask to put their goat on display, and that's the end of that. (laughs) I I read the the Satanic Bible in high school because I was like, ooh, Satan, this is going to be awesome. And it's actually a really pedestrian, like, philosophy. It's like just kind of individualism and rationalism. And they just yeah. picked a scary name for it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> One thing you can't levy against the Church of Satan, they don't know their branding. Because you probably paid money for that satanic Bible going like, yeah, I'm going to learn that deep shit. I assume it was stolen, right? <laughs> no, yeah. I think I got it from the library. <laughs> yeah. oh, you, oh. Love that? you can steal from the library. That's true, there you yeah. go. As a former librarian, I want to apologize to all the librarians who are listening to this, hearing this malarkey. (laughs) We do not advocate for stealing from libraries. Do not, do no, I agree. Do not, if there's one thing that you should take away from this podcast, do not steal from libraries. Libraries are wonderful. Go contribute to your local library. At least go visit it. They'd love to have you. Think of a 10-year-old child. Putting a copy of Transformers the movie on hold because he wants to see Transformers for the first time. And he's heard about it and his parents have talked about it and he thinks that that sounds so cool. And he's seen pictures of it and he's read the uh, Illustrated Encyclopedia. He puts it on hold at his local library. He waits three years and it never comes because someone has fucking stolen it. And it's never come back into the system. That child was me. Whoever did that to the Missouri Public Library system, fuck you. Which Transformers movie are we talking about here? I did ultimately get my hands on Transformers, the movie, and I was like, I'm going to watch Transformers. And then Optimus Prime gets murdered in the first 10 minutes. No way. They kill Optimus Prime in the first 10 minutes of the movie? Oh, bud. So you have the original anime series, which I've since seen. That's great. It was just a commercial. It was a 30-minute long commercial that somehow got run as television. Like G.I. <laughs> Joe. A, a fanta- yeah. Both fantastic cultural artifacts. Yeah. The movie decides to go real hard for some reason, and it starts with Optimus Prime facing down difficult but achievable odds and then fucking dying. And the, his actual replacement being displaced in a power struggle. Also, Weird Al Yankovic does a big song about trash as a many-faced trash demon. <laughs> well, now I kind of want to check it out. Now, you're selling it to me. Weird Al Yankovic? That's awesome. You're old enough to not be traumatized by it anymore. You'll be safe. You don't have to watch Optimus Prime die. <laughs> I'll just fast forward. 
past that part. <laughs> Choose to believe it's not there. I, I've missed a lot of Transformer lore, I'm realizing now. If you do anything Transformers, uh, there's a really good comics run that went from like 2008 to 2014 or something. It's like nine volumes. It's essentially a big, surprisingly queer road trip where unraveling the impact of the Transformers across the stars. Yeah, and impacting robot kind through time and space. Also, the, it, it, it does wild genre shifts, shifts to where now it's Terminator. Now it's Alien. Now it's a slice of life comedy. That's awesome. So Transformers, no kidding. You know, I, I, may be, I may be off the mark here, but I believe, and I'll need you to correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you're much more of a Transformers expert than I am. It's, it's Transformers me, more than meets the eye. Sorry uh, to interrupt, but it's Transformers more than meets the eye, and it ran from 2011 to 2016. <laughs> well, okay. But so the original cartoon even, I think, all of the, the Transformers, both the Autobots and the Decepticons, they're all, I believe, chasing after these like glowing energon cubes or something. Is that right? Depends on the situation, but they do often fight over energy. Yes. Yes. So I think that, and, and I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I think that they were the first kind of big mainstream media where everybody's chasing after a glowy magic cube <laughs> that's going to give them power. And that's become a mainstay of like everything in all of our movies and all of our TV, like look at any superhero movie. They're all chasing after a glowy, magical stone or orb or cube or what have you of power. It always glows. It's always a physical thing you can pick up and hold in your hand. Everybody's chasing after it. And I think they did it first. Can, can you trace that back to like the Golden Fleece, the Ark of the Covenant? Do, do we have, is unobtainium just a, 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 a universal concept? The MacGuffin is, I think yeah. it specifically has to be a glowy box or a glowy cube. It's got to be handheld. Or it could be in a briefcase, like in Pulp Fiction. Ark of the Covenant That's is That's close, too but it, the, the briefcase itself would need to glow. Here. Well, it glows when you open it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean like the Infinity Stones, right? Or before that, they had the, the Tesseract or whatever the hell it was in the movie before that with a blue thing. It was the same bullshit. Racking my brain for stuff I've, I've known about, like world history and mythology. I'll say this. I'd be disappointed if it came from Transformers, that it didn't have some <laughs> more universal human root, that it came from the toy commercial. <laughs> I think they helped to popularize it, at least. Because nowadays we all know that objects of power are always glowy shit that you hold in your hand. Or slot into it. The light bulb was invented in like the what the eighteen nineties. Yeah, that was the whole joke. That was the whole thing. That was uh, the. <laughs> but I don't. I don't know of any media where everyone's chasing after a light bulb. Well, it was real life. They were they were competing to see which one could get it to market fastest. Yeah, I still think about Edison frying an elephant with electricity to prove that ele that a certain type of electricity is dangerous. Yeah, right. DC yeah. power is dangerous because. We killed this this elephant with it and made a movie about it. Edison was a real piece of shit. Let me tell you, <laughs> Tesla was a fucking weird dude, too. Do you know Tesla was in love with the pigeon? He thought that the pigeon shot lasers out of its eyes. Yes, I know this story. I, I don't know about the laser thing, but I know that Tesla, like, like fell in love with the pigeon. All of these people were, were bonkers, basically. Wait, okay, pigeon la lasers. is How close is that to the pigeon glowing and you want to chase it around? Because it has confers powers. I don't know about the laser part. I don't. I never heard that part. How about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Could that be an earlier origin? Huh. 
I guess no one. I guess no one tries to. They're sever... not fighting over Rudolph's nose, but if they did, that would be a much, much better Christmas story, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> probably not kid appropriate. Imagine Rudolph. He's sitting in the dark, and like there's people trying coming after his nose, and he's putting his hooves over his nose, and then it just starts glowing, from, and they see the light from beneath the closet. That's just good cinema. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's a, yeah. That's a scene you can make the entire movie round. Just center it. That's that's your act two, and then the climax, and then write it around that. Yeah, you know, it's amazing to me that Rudolph is a magical reindeer with unbelievable powers. Rudolph can fly. Rudolph can travel the world at unbelievable speeds. He can visit every home in the course of a night. But what people care about. They care about his nose lighting up a little bit. And that's where Fortnite skins come from. We learned early on <laughs> that no matter what the base abilities all reindeer share, it was the cosmetic <laughs> that made them <laughs> distinct and special. Do, do you think there's a Rudolph skin in Fortnite right now? What do you think the chances of that are? Uh, Don't look it up. You, you just have to guess. You're cheating if you look it up. I'm looking up to satisfy because now I need to know. But I think this is a yes or no guess. You don't. You go, don't get to look. I'm gonna. So does it count if there's? An, you can be an, an the entire uh, sleigh plus all the reindeer. Absolutely, anything with Rudolph where you can be Rudolph. I'm gonna say that you can be the entire sleigh and all the reindeer all at once. I like a Voltron. Like the reindeer, the reindeer is your gun pointing forward. It it. And instead of a muzzle flash, Rudolph's nose glows. <laughs> that would be amazing. It, it hasn't been added yet, but I saw on like one of the latest trailers, um, Santa Claus, but he's uh, ripped and he's driving a battle truck and he nearly runs over Peter Parker. And I'm thinking that Rudolph is not in the game yet, but he's going he to He ran soon. over Peter Parker, like not Spider-Man. Specifically, Peter Parker. So, like, there's some guy walking around with like some Spider-Man costume slipping out of his sleeve, but he just looks like a normal dude, not Peter, not Spider-Man. He had his mask off, and I think when his mask is off, you can call him Peter Parker. I think that's that's appropriate. Okay, but like they in the previous panel, they established Spider-Man swinging in, <laughs> taking his mask off, and then Santa comes to get him. I got it. <laughs> I I think that uh, Santa thinks that Spider-Man is naughty and Peter Parker is nice, and that just causes Peter Parker even more issues than he already has. <laughs> How did we get here, by the way? We're talking about Enya and spirituality. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what the show is all about. <laughs> all right, let's, let's see where the next topic takes us, all shall right, we? All right, so for this topic, we're going to be reading a poem about a T-Rex from Calvin and Hobbes, which doesn't have a title. Uh, by Bill Watterson. Who wants to read the poem? If there are no volunteers, I can totally do it. I can. I can do. Po- it's multiple uh, stanzas, so I can trade off. Uh, well, wow! I've never, never thought to do that. Now, I'd rather if, if, if there's a singular voice, unless we want to read it in unison. I mean, the, it does have. It has an orange panel, a blue panel, a white panel, and a green panel. Oh, is this is this a game you're playing? I don't. Is this how does this game work? I'm just saying. Like, Aton can pick the orange and the green panel to cap it off. Uh, I'll take blue and you can take white. Yeah. All right, that's fine. 80 million years ago, back in the late Cretaceous, lived the great Tyrannosaur, a fearsome and predacious, theropod of monstrous size. He weighed six tons or more, 
he epitomized the concept of the killer carnivore. His jaws had teeth like railroad spikes, with fore and aft serrations. This dental hardware was designed for quick eviscerations. With thrashing bites and awful roars, the T-Rex would attack. He was, it's clear, a savage, mesozoic maniac. Bill Watterson would be a freaking incredible rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine then the panic caused, the horror and the mayhem, when this monster came to town and ate some folks this a.m. It was a sight few will forget. He lunged into the crowd. The multitude became unglued. Their screams were long and loud. People pushed to get away. The elderly and small were trampled underfoot by the advancing human wall. Little Tim was on an errand with his brother Howard. They dawdled (laughs) by the candy shop, and both boys were devoured. (laughs) A camera crew from Channel 3 arrived in town to give a live report. At this they failed because they didn't live. At last the menace ate his fill, the big tyrannosaur stomped away to parts unknown where he had lived before. Tyrannosaurs, though rarely seen, are certainly still around, and no one knows just where or when the next one will be found, except me. Yeah! That was great. (laughs) (laughs) That is an awesome poem. Thank you, Bill Watterson, for writing that. This is, it is, it is delightful. Listen, this is accompanied, this was a Sunday strip. Um, I'm, we're going to assume the listener knows what Calvin and Hobbes is. Uh, this was a Sunday strip, and it's in the 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 T Rex is rendered in a hyper realistic style, and the the carnage caused, and then the uh, Calvin pretending to be the T Rex is rendered in the in the cartoon style. When I was a kid, Calvin and Hobbes I think was my favorite comic, and I must have read this poem I don't know how many times when I was a kid. I thought it was so good. There are not enough poems about Tyrannosaurus rexes. That's true. Is there anything that you're doing in your current creative practice to change this piece of the world? Uh, yeah, actually. I, I have. I, I made a game called Go Home Dinosaurs. <laughs> so, yeah, I actually did do that. I, I, can, I can be proud of that one. Although there is unfortunately no poetry in Go Home Dinosaurs. There are tyrannosaurs, but not poetry. So now I'm kind of feeling like maybe it was a B-plus effort. <laughs> I, I mean, if, if the point is more Tyrannosaurus poetry, you, you only got yeah. half of the assignment. 50% isn't a passing no, grade. No, that's true. In text world, there's a screen where, like, the left half of the screen is an ASCII art T-Rex skeleton. And elsewhere in the game, you can find it referred to as Ragnosorth. And the, the Ragnosorth, Ragnosorth's bones hold a terrible secret. There's no actual secret in there. It just says that. But hopefully, uh, someone will will be inspired by the myth of Ragnosorth and decide to write an epic poem about Ragnosorth someday. The new Beowulf. Um, I'm currently, this is an exclusive topic, Lords to reveal, uh, that is serious. I'm currently working on a game about dinosaurs. If we need to bring more dinosaur poetry into the world, I will put on our task list, dinosaur poetry is going to go in there. We're going to have a Tyrannosaurus poetry thing to attempt to roll back the dire affliction this is this is why America has has fallen because we have had so little dinosaur poetry, and this is the first step to taking uh, the nation's soul back. It's not just that; it's worse than you think. The dinosaur poetry gap that we face with China and with Ru- Russia is unbelievable. <laughs> Our third graders, the dinosaur poetry they're doing is two years behind their dinosaur poetry. This is an emergency as a nation. Holy shit, we need to get better dinosaur poetry from our third graders. What are they doing now? 
<laughs> I don't know, but we're get they're running circles around this. This is a national emergency. We need to get these kids. We need to get them creative and writing poetry about a stegosaurus or about you know a dimetrodon or something. TikTok, more like TikTok. It's time to write some dinosaur poetry. <laughs> So yeah. you you said this was a Topic Lords exclusive announcement. You should know this episode comes out on January 24th. So you're not allowed to say anything about it until then. I'm under embargo. I love being under embargo. I'm actually live tweeting this entire Topic Lords oh. episode. So. Okay. Well, it's fine. <laughs> if one person broke the embargo, everything's fine. Everything will be spoiled. Are we ready for another topic? Oh, I'm excited for our next topic. It was it a was last minute sub in. Oh, well, this is not the one I thought was going to be in here. <laughs> usually we talk about this. this I, is, I thought you noticed. My apologies. This is, this is fine. Uh, but usually we have a conversation about the, the substitutions. Uh, Nelson, your topic is untrue facts about human anatomy. The human body is an amazing thing. Um, and when you describe it or delve into any specific piece of it, you realize that any piece of information you discover is essentially like you could say like oh this is fake and people be like yeah of course that's fake that couldn't possibly be how neurotransmitters work or how the small intestine functions when outside of your body it sounds fake so uh my topic lord's suggestion is just sort of you know collaborating as a group what are just some really good untrue facts about human anatomy that we can take into our daily lives going forward to bring joy delight and horror to the people that we love that's a great question. You know, I always liked the nonsense about how if you like took someone's veins like at arteries and all of their blood vessels and like stacked them end to end, it would like get to the moon. All I could think of is what poor person are you doing this to? Did they volunteer for this? Was this like a death row sort of situation? I'm pretty sure that that's a fact that if you took this poor chump's blood vessels, arteries, everything and stacked them end to end. They would go from here to the moon and back seven and a half times. That's a true fact. But that that must be some incredible compression then. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That, but we need untrue facts. No, but that's a true fact. I'm giving you a true fact. I appreciate that. But now I'm just left with this really cool factoid <laughs> that makes me feel really scared about how much blood is in me. I would argue that my untrue fact is extra good. Because you just instantly bought that it was a true fact when I said with a straight face, this is a true fact. You're like, that sounds reasonable. Why not? So I think that's an excellent untrue fact that we can push forward because it passes the, the bullshit test. I just trusted Aton. I think neurotransmitters work by yelling really loud. Okay. Nearby neurotransmitters hear it and they're like, oh, okay, I heard, My heard that. My parents certainly do. <laughs> So if you need dopamine, it's basically your brain screaming, dopamine! <laughs> Order up. You need a number five of depression. Get it out from under the heat lamp and bring it to you. Plate's hot. Be careful. The idea of a heat lamp inside of the brain, that that's just where all my serotonin has been getting stored. Whoever is running the diner in my brain is a real dick. <laughs> God, I, I'm not going to do that one, actually. It was a vaccine-related one, and I realized I probably don't need to do any, any untrue facts about vaccines right now. <laughs> Let me see if I can... I, I, ha I have a pitch. So uh, this is based off of a fact which I think I learned at one point, but I'm not sure if it is actually true. It's that the brain's essential things that it runs off of are sugar and water. So if you're 
feeling like, yeah, if you have a headache or whatever else, try to satisfy the water and the sugar portions of that and it will clear up. And I've done that for years and it's happened. I'm not sure if it's placebo effect or whatever else. My idea is what if the brain works better when directly exposed to heat? There was a period of time where uh, people were doing uh, perineum stunning. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this trend. Wow, I am not. But the idea of if you like a doctor, when they light that thing inside of your brain and you feel more aware in that instance, if we spread a new rumor that if you expose the brain directly to light, it begins operating better. What sorts of pseudoscience devices would spring up in the crop of that? We would get Lobots in real life. I'm really excited for that. Trepanation would definitely come back. You could just use a book light then. Life hack of the common man. That's right. <laughs> what are some other good, untrue, untrue facts? If you make that face, it's going to get stuck like that. Yeah. I think that's a good, untrue fact about human anatomy. <laughs> if you make the same expression 12 times in a row, it causes your brain to halt thinking about the current thing it's thinking about. It's like a, re- a physical reset button. Your brain cannot process why you would do that thing in a row so many times. So whatever it's fixated on, it just halts. This sounds really useful. This is something that I wish were true because then I could make good use of it and I need to reset my mental processes. You just go, well, it doesn't read well on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make the same expression 12 times. You got to make a little little noise, boing, 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 and that represents you making, scrunching your face up. Mm, Appreciate it. That that's a that is that's a, that's a premium AAA editing we expect at the top. That's a little, yeah. little podcast tip for all of you. I I have another uh, true human anatomy fact, which is interesting. We all know that hiccups happen. What a lot of people don't realize is you can give yourself hiccups by moving your body too much in unnatural and crazy ways, like kind of tumbling around. And so, if you ever see Olympic level gymnasts. You know, they do their routine, and as soon as they're done with the routine, the camera cuts away to the scores. The reason they cut away so quickly after they land on the mat is because they always have hiccups, and they don't want to show these Olympic-level athletes, you know, like drinking a big glass of water or something to get over the hiccups. It's, like, embarrassing, so they always cut away. So that pretty much happens, like, 80% of the time whenever they do these things. I bought it up until you said the camera cuts away. They never show it for more than a second after they land on the mat. They always cut the camera away. They don't want to show the hiccups. Think about it. Have you seen it? <laughs> it's now making I, me question every time I've seen gymnastics. You would need someone who is really good, who had seen so much gymnastics to disprove this. That makes it a great untrue fact. I had assumed that when you were when you were talking about how tumbling makes you hiccup, I was I thought it was like the number of degrees of rotation and then like and the ha- speed with which you rotate. And then you have yes. to spin spin backwards the, that same amount to undo it. To get the- mm. That would get rid of the hiccups, but it's just too difficult. They can't do front flips and back flips the same way. The gymnasts know that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my understanding is that you have a left and right hand and a left and right foot. My understanding is that in the womb, uh, you both of your hands are on the left and you have one at the end of your arm and one at the end of your left leg. And then both of your feet or on the right, where you have one at the end of your right arm, one on your right leg, and it rotates as you exit the womb. And my understanding is that if you live long enough, it makes another 90-degree rotation. So, like, if you get to be, like, 130, you're going to have both of your hands on the right and both of your feet on the left. 
That's fascinating. I'm not going to watch old people anymore. I don't, I don't need to see that. <laughs> I, I have a follow-up question, Jim. Mm-hmm. As we all know, life expectancy is rising. Yeah. And I think it's not crazy to think that we might hit 130. Yeah. You know, but no one's going to want to. Within the next couple of decades. So my question, Jim, is if we keep going with life expectancy and people get to be 260, What's happening then? Yeah, Can science, we inspect further? Science has no idea. We, our math doesn't go that high. <laughs> awesome. That was a great talk, Vic. I learned a lot about human anatomy. I th- That was a lot of good, useful information for me to know. <laughs> I'm going to start spreading it around. Good to tell that six-year-old you know. The wildest thing that, that I learned was like, if you look at things that all have the same color too often for a few minutes afterwards, everything will have that tint. That's definitely true. That's definitely true. Yeah. It's definitely not true. Oh. No, that's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? I think so. Eitan, your topic is things that have been on your I'm going to do it list for 10 plus years that you will, in fact, probably never get around to doing. I can go, but why don't you go? I'm. Uh, this makes me sad. <laughs> Nelson, you got anything? <laughs> I mean, I. this is one part where my age shows where I, I, I haven't. You're just not old enough to have a bucket list. I haven't had that that much stuff on the list so far. Here's a fun one. I I used to be in pretty good shape. And I thought when I was like 19 that I was going to bike across America. They have a trail called the Trans-American Bike Trail. And it stretches from like D.C., I want to say, out to Portland, Oregon. And it, it goes across the Rockies. It's nuts. It takes like two to three months to do this. You were a confident young man. Yeah, I I thought I could do it. I thought I was going to do it. And I never got around to it. And like, I don't think I could make it 50 miles right now. (laughs) (laughs) Went out on a bicycle now. It would it would just be bad for everyone. And I'm a little bit sad I I didn't do it when I was young and stupid enough to at least give it a shot. I have something on my list. So a thing about me is that I don't really make plans. Like when I ran a Kickstarter for uh, a sequel to Frog Fractions, and I predicted that it would be 18 months in development. That was probably the <laughs> longest term plan I've ever made in my life. I almost always am like, choose in the moment, what am I going to do right now? I don't think I have anything like this. The thing that comes to mind, though, is the the I guess my my list of plans that I've been failing at doing is like the huge pile of books on my nightstand next to my bed that I have read like the first chapter of each of them. When I was 13, my family went to a county fair. And at one point, we stepped into this clearing there and there was a space of, you know, in a county fair, which is a pretty crowded space, a space of 50 solid feet on all sides of this food truck. And what the food truck was advertising was fried butter. And my, and my dad no asked me, do you want that? And because I was a fucking coward at 13, <laughs> I said no. And I have thought about it at least once a week, every week thereafter for the rest of my life, especially as I, I, I've gotten into adulthood proper. So if I don't eat fried butter... In the near future, well, first of all, county fairs where you would get that type of unregulated shenaniganry, COVID has seriously impacted those. So yeah. I am just on tender hooks waiting for the day that I can eat fried butter because I made a mistake. I made a mistake and I want to go back. There's got to be like a website where you can get like recipes for county fair food. 
It's not the same. It's not the same. Can I ask, aren't aren't you worried about flying too close to the sun, Icarus? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think some things were not made for man? The danger is, the older I get, the more dangerous this will become exponentially. And the more yeah. I'll want to do it if I haven't done it already. I wonder, like, when I'm about to die, if, if I am lucky enough to be on a deathbed where I know my death is imminent, I'm just going to do a bunch of heroin, right? Because, like, <laughs> let's just have some fun, right? Like, let's, let's give it a shot, right? Chase the dragon and catch him first time. I think fried butter would be on the menu. I think that would be the, like, yeah, let's ab- bring it in. Fried butter. Abs- I'll take a bath in it. That'll be, <laughs> that'll just, <laughs> that'll be amazing. Uh, you should know, just just heroin pro tip, my understanding is that you don't like it the first time. You have to get your heroin, like you get your first time out of the way before you can get to the second time, which <laughs> if, is the good one. Then you need, then you need <laughs> cocaine. You need something that's a better, has a better on-ramp. Yeah, yeah. I think I think when I'm on my deathbed, I'll take whatever whatever I'm given, probably. <laughs> you know what? It's, they'll probably already have you on an opiate, so... The heroin will, you'll already be prepped for it. So I think you're good. How much would it suck if you were on a pain-killing opiate to the point that you were feeling comfortable, of course, but then you had heroin and you didn't feel it because you were already on the pain-killing opiate and you went through all of the the trouble of acquiring heroin? You just take more. (laughs) You solved it. Who cares? Yeah. They, they give you like a dose every hour. You need to figure out enough like electronics to hack that machine to uncap it. I can't imagine it's that hard. Like, you don't need electronics. You just need, like, a syringe and a tube. It's right there. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> Learn enough yeah. about tubes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know enough about tubes. Fried butter was apparently invented in 2009, which is much more recent than I thought it would be. But it was invented by a man with a nickname that you will not be able to guess. His name is Abel Gonzalez Jr. You will not guess his nickname. Big Greasy. No. Slim. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, the Milkman. Would you, would you like to hear this name? Two, two Socks McGillicuddy. I would love to hear the name. His name is Fried Jesus. <laughs> not, not Fried Jesus. <laughs> fried Jesus. Because his name is Abel. Listen, you know, what have you done for me lately, right? Jesus walked on water? Sure, that was 2,000 years ago. Fried Jesus over here made me fried butter. <laughs> I believe in him a lot more than the two. <laughs> and listen, when, when you saw one pair of feet in the sand, that was because you collapsed 30 miles back <laughs> from a heart attack. <laughs> he lived up to his, his nickname, huh? I've, I've been looking at this recipe for deep fried butter, and I have to say... How many ingredients would you expect to be in the recipe for fried butter? Okay, I, I can answer this. I would guess, do, are we counting oil? If we don't count the oil, I'm guessing four. Okay. I'm also guessing four. Well, actually, five. I'll add salt as an ingredient. Salt, salt's, salt's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. Like, my, my thinking was that, like, it's either- Butter, egg, flour, breading, yeah. salt. Yeah, no, this is this is much closer to what's actually on the list, because it's actually a, a like a, a donut-like confection- in my head, fried butter, it's either just butter fried in butter, or it's butter fried in some other kind of oil. Otherwise, it's like, what are you even doing? Like, what are you... This is not fried butter. This is fried flour and cinnamon and light brown sugar. Mm. This is this is a churro that you're making. 
Uh, that actually sounds better to me. Well, churros are delicious. Right. <laughs> so, why are there no churros in my fridge? <laughs> the the best deal known to man is the one dollar churros at Costco that are insanely they're huge. huge, and they're just a dollar. Yeah, I'm such a believer. Yeah, they're lost leaders. Yeah, because you think a dollar at Costco, it's so cheap to get a churro. People take how cheap the churro is, and they assume that everything at Costco is that cheap. Oh. It's amazing. It's a psychological wow, thing. A if a trick. churro only costs a dollar, if a hot dog only costs a buck fifty, this couch set I'm getting for my living room must be an equivalent deal. That said, I actually like Costco a lot because they actually treat their employees decently. Oh. They like gave them benefits long before it was cool. Yeah, they're a really ethical company in like a sea of Walmarts. So they deserve credit where credit's due. We were talking about fried butter though, and <laughs> I can't help but wonder. Where does the milk for the butter come from? It comes from cows. Right. Okay. Are you are you are you going for a segue here? Is that what's terrified happening? Terrified of where where this is going. I, I could be teeing you up. All right. So my topic is why do cows have four stomachs but only one butthole? It kinda speaks for itself. So so this is the thing about cows. The the stomachs are all in sequence. Like, they digest the grass in one stomach, and then they digest them. This is me having no idea how about cow cows are laid out internally. This is a totally true fact about cow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't it make more sense for the cows to have four completely independent digestive systems? I think so. Yeah. It would be so much more efficient. They could mine for bitcoins way better. <laughs> <laughs> If they had four buttholes, do you know how much more cows would fart? It would be an environmental catastrophe if they had four buttholes. Methane is a power source. We can capture <laughs> this energy. So what you're saying is we can solve the energy crisis. At what cost? Who's going to stand there and capture it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the question I have is where do we place these extra buttholes? I mean, it, uh, the world is your oyster. So I'm just throwing this out there if you place the buttholes at 120 degrees from each other and then you had the cow in a weightless environment uh -huh. <laughs> the cow could propel itself with farts in any direction yeah yeah it would have six degrees of freedom and yeah, yeah it would be it would be thanking you for this horrendous act of genetic engineering I'm fairly sure this would be worth some sort of Nobel Prize in, in physics or agriculture. Or I have no idea what. But <laughs> if you drew, if you could, you create a butt. So we have to ask about like the definition of a butthole because if you drill with a regular commercial drill, a line from well, a a butthole drilling drill. If you drew, drill, if you drill a line from the cow's stomach to the outside. Is that by definition a butthole? Because it is a line from the cow stomach to the outside. I believe that's animal cruelty. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it has to be a magic butthole drilling drill. If you use an electric versus a gas drill, is it different in terms of being animal cruelty? Well, it's different for the environment, certainly. Is the gas drill being powered by the methane? Oh, man. It's self-powering a methane drill to drill more buttholes into it, all of which produce more methane so you can drill more help holes more efficiently. I'm not sure how I feel about that. This is a, this is a clicker that we've invented. <laughs> Cow clicker. <laughs> how many buttholes can a thing have before it is no longer a distinct being? 
Like, how much of its surface area must be butthole? I would say 25%. I think that they live a torturous life if they're 25% buttholes, but that doesn't make you a butthole yet. I, I think when you cross that line, you, you cross into that territory, is my hunch. That's the threshold. I'd say 78%. I think if you're 78% oh, wow. buttholes aggregate. So, like, we're talking, let's say, a 76% butthole being. That's a lot of buttholes for it to not just be the butthole being. Well, it's like a, a zebra. Does a ze- is a zebra black with white stripes, or is it white with black stripes? If the zebra was 76% buttholes, it would be more of a butthole <laughs> it would than be, a zebra. It would be a butthole with zebra stripes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so if we go down to 72%, is that is that still a butthole being? Are you- are you trying to negotiate this? <laughs> I'm I'm trying to find the exact I'll give you line. 33% and not a drop higher. <laughs> I think if I saw if I met someone who was 48% buttholes, I'd be like, "You aren't buttholes. Like that isn't who you are." Okay. I'll I'll go as high as 45%, but the buttholes have to be like that fancy shapes like a moon, a crescent moon, or a clover. If they're special shapes, it adds more to your butthole percentage total. It's ins- If you have like a regular butthole and then a moon-shaped butthole as well, that's instantly like, a, I think, a 10% bonus on how much butthole percentage you are right there. If the butthole is shaped like a smiley face, does that mean the cow is happy? <laughs> is the smiley face composed of three distinct shapes, or is it like one distinct shape? Because is it three holes, like for the smiley, or is it one shape, but with, like, serrations? Oh, I'm con- I just want to make the cow happy. I just want to make sure. <laughs> Jim, that, I think that we have long ago departed from those waters. <laughs> we have sailed into entirely new oceans with this. <laughs> you proposed a cookie stamper, which is a, a smiley face, but for buttholes. You, you know, my wife and I have been trying to eat less red meat because of its impact on the environment. We, we like, feel guilty about eating too much red meat, and I really think this conversation is going a long way to help me with my goals. Uh, and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Awesome. Thank Fantastic. you so much for having me on. Such a delight to be with both you, Jim, and you, Aton. This is our yeah. first time properly yeah. speaking, and it was worth it. Absolutely. This is this was a uh, terrific show to do, and I'd love to go on and do one with you anytime, Zalabir. Uh, N- Nelson, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Twitter.com slash Nelson. Please don't at me about buttholes. I will block you. Tom, <laughs> uh, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can go to firehosegames.com because we just got a fancy, shiny new website. All right. It has our name on it and everything. I saw it. it. It looks really good. I know. It's amazing. It took long enough. We're excited. Professional with a capital P. Shiny. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. 
patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.